Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 2010 ceremony year win for Sandra Bullock. This was kind of a big deal for her because up until this point in her career, she was mostly known as a rom-com star. And this is where she kind of switched over into the dramatic roles and she won an Oscar for it. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, the performance we are going to very briefly be talking about the white savior complex but we're also going to be talking about all the other nominated people and the amazing performances this year uh we, today we are joined by a guest that has previously been on the podcast um he is the host of code names live on twitch he also has a new podcast called the adventures uh we have from inside the house and it is about entertainment and how it affects our lives it's tim real hi tim hey kyle what's up how are you doing? I'm doing so good. Uh, it's been it's been uh, it's been a while. I love this show. I'm so glad I'm back. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you so much for doing it. I know that uh, five movies is a lot, and I'm always grateful for anybody that will jump on and talk about these movies with me. So before we jump in, I just have to say that uh, 2010 ceremony year. So best picture went to The Hurt Locker. Best director went to Catherine Bigelow, uh, aka James Cameron's ex-wife. Um, Best Actor went to Jeff Bridges for Crazy Heart. Best Supporting Actor went to Christoph Waltz for Inglorious Bastards. And Best Supporting Actress went to Monique for Precious, which I feel like we will probably also talk about on this episode. So, Tim, I have to ask a little bit about your podcast that you have going on, the adventures that we have from inside the house. So I know it's an entertainment podcast. So what specifically in entertainment do you talk about? Well, that's the big issue, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we, I, I do the show Codenames Live because it is specifically a game show for uh, right. where entertainers come on and play a game show. That's easily marketable and no problem. I needed something that is like, this is the thing and that's all it is. Uh, but we've known each other a very, very long time. And so when it came to, if I'm going to do a podcast, do I do it about movies? Do I do it about books? Do I do it about music? And it's like, I like all of those things. So I'm just going to do a podcast about all of those things and make it impossible to find with keywords (laughs) uh, and impossible to uh, sell to anybody because (laughs) what's it about? Entertainment. What about entertainment? All of it, all of the things. Uh, (laughs) So I talk about uh, movies and I talk about books and I talk about uh, stuff. But uh, it's not a review show. That's uh, that's an important caveat. I don't do reviews. I don't do uh, most of the time. It's not recommendations, but it really is uh, the why of entertainment. Uh, so <laughs> I do. I do. An ep- there's an episode called uh, Ted Lasso and the Men Who Care. And it's uh, uh-huh. and I talk about uh, Ted Lasso and a bunch of other shows where it seems to be this new thing in television where people are really focusing in on the emotional aspects of being uh, a man in today's society and uh, where it's men helping men through emotional things, which is not something that I grew up with on TV. Right. And so I, I wanted to explore that uh, through the lens of Ted Lasso and uh, men of a certain age and, uh, 
a million little things. There's a couple of shows that are really focused on men with uh, with regular human being issues going to other men with regular human being issues to solve those things. Nothing nothing being solved by other people. Uh, I also do. I did an episode that uh, where Mrs. Doubtfire, watching it as a divorced man, I realized that Mrs. Doubtfire is more of a horror film than a family comedy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it's that type of stuff. It's the entertainment that affects me and how it affects me. Uh, and and we we talk about the whole gamut of things it's uh it's 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 one of those things that uh, i'm never going to be able to sell no one's ever going to find it no one's ever going to listen to it but it's uh, it's close <laughs> to my heart well that's the most important part um, <laughs> but that sounds that sounds great i mean i i love that and as long as like the thing is is like you really have to give a shit about what you're doing because i mean this podcast and by the way just side note thank you to anybody that has been reaching out and saying nice things about this show and what you enjoy about it etc and i really appreciate that because this is a labor of love honey i don't get paid for this and um you know it it really means a lot whenever people like appreciate it and you guys reach out and you say nice things and i appreciate it if you don't have nice things to say you know go fuck yourself anyway uh let us talk about these movies so uh this isn't in any particular order but let's just talk about uh meryl streep in julie and julia um so this was the first movie that i watched i'd seen this before it's with amy adams and it's uh basically based on two real books and they combine it into one movie and it's about julia child and you know um, the similarities of the character Julie and, um, you know, how their lives sort of intersect and how she, you know, is obsessed with Julia Childs and she takes herself out of the rut of her nine to five life in New York City by learning how to find passion in life and she finds it through cooking, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So had you seen this movie before and what did you think? I had seen it before. Uh, I am a big fan of uh, anything sold to me as uh, as a rom com, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so when it came out, uh, that was a hundred percent. Everybody was like, "Ah, oh, check out this new romantic comedy starring Amy Adams uh, with Meryl Streep," uh, and I was like, "Okay, that sounds cool." Uh, I remember watching it and uh, thoroughly loving it. Uh, but I think uh, it was definitely uh, for me uh, watching it now, uh, have, doing the rewatch lately. Uh, I, I, and I think it ran through a couple of the other... No, it didn't run through the other movies. Movies from that era where you're just like, oh, how quaint. Right. <laughs> like, like Chocolate kind of thing? Uh, no, no. I mean quaint as in nobody has a goddamn cell phone, uh, really. And, uh, oh, are we going to learn about blogging? Okay. Right. Because right. it's 2002, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it, it was uh, it was interesting to watch that stuff. But uh, watching it back... Uh, I don't know why it was ever sold as a rom-com. I mean, was it? I don't know. I always just, I just remember the marketing. Like, yeah. Oh, well, I just remember it as like, well, okay, well that would make sense. But yeah, no, for me, I always just remember it as the, I'm Julia child. And like, they, that was the commercial like over and over again. And I just remember being like, Oh, like what an odd voice. Cause I genuinely, you know, I'm 32 years old. I didn't grow up with Julia child. That's kind of like an older generation thing, you know, mastering the art of French cooking. And, uh, you know, like when Dan Aykroyd is parodying it on Saturday night live, I think in the late seventies or early eighties, it's like, that's the, you know, the context of her career. So I wasn't very familiar with Julia child's growing up, but my dad always kind of made fun of that voice a little bit. And I remember when I saw the commercial, I was like, why is she talking like that? And I actually looked up Julia Child and no, 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 that's actually what her voice was. Like she actually 
sounded like that. I was a little surprised to hear that. I mean, am I alone on this? I don't know. I thought her voice was just very weird. <laughs> it is a very, very weird voice. And it's one of those things where, uh, uh, I mean, in, in terms of this podcast, while I was watching the movie and you're looking at Meryl Streep and you're like, it's Meryl Streep. So clearly she's killing it. And then there's also this yeah. voice and, and, and it's just like, <laughs> it's like, is this performance good because she nailed right. this Muppet voice or is it actually good? Like uh, the impersonation is flawless, but uh, yeah, yeah. But it's one of those where it's also, it's like, is Julia Child so cartoonish that anybody could have pulled it off because she's not a regular person? Yeah, that's exactly what I wrote. I wrote caricature. I was like, it comes off as a bit caricature, but I think that was actually her. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, are you mm -hmm. killing it? Are you being the ultimate Meryl Streep right now? Or is this just kind of like a bit of a cartoonish impression? And then you actually do see Julia Child like real life. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, like this woman was very eccentric and very odd. Yeah, so there's I think a lot she of things. Yeah, there was a lot of things going on here. I mean, first of all, her relationship with Stanley Tucci, I only know them as Nigel and Miranda Priestley from The Devil Wears Prada. So when I see them like making out in bed together, having sex, I'm not going to lie. It makes me a little uncomfortable. I don't think I watched that movie nearly enough to have that effect. Uh, Fair. All, all I knew uh, right away was that uh, Stanley Tucci got on screen and it reminded me that it's like, this is here's one of the most underrated people. Just because I'm just like, I i don't think I've ever disliked Stanley Tucci in something. Mm -hmm. And so it was just nice to see him. But uh, but watching like Meryl. Rockwell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's a lot like Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but then watching the two of them together was uh, was great. But uh, no, it's the little idiosyncrasy stuff that Meryl Streep put in there. Like, I don't know if, if you uh, have this in your notes, but one of the things that made me uncomfortable watching Meryl Streep, uh, not in that it was a bad performance, but. I guess Julia Child had a real issue with people's personal space because right. a lot of Meryl Streep in conversation with a group of people will have her leaning into and towering over the person she's speaking with while they're right. speaking to her. Like when it's their turn to talk, she's listening from above and down like 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 they're below her head she like leans over enough so she has to like look down to listen to them and <laughs> like not large. in like a, yeah she's very large but but not in like a i'm better than you way but like literally like i can only hear you if you're under my chin kind of way right and i think that you're probably right like that probably was like a character choice of her butting in like maybe she was like that because in real life meryl streep is five foot six and julia child was six foot two so mm -hmm. they had to put her like on stilts, uh, which is a very <laughs> like, you know, like extra high heels kind of thing. Um, and uh, there were also a lot of forced perspective camera angles. So maybe because of the angle, it looked like that. But I actually feel like she probably was doing that as like a character choice because maybe she was like that a lot. Maybe she maybe, was. Kind of but now that you bring up that in. she's five, six, I like it because I, I, I didn't Google it, but I was like really like thrown off any scene with Jane Lynch. Where I was God. like, I know Jane Lynch is an absolute giant and Meryl is only like, what, a couple of inches shorter. How tall is Meryl Streep? And then I'm like, yeah, this is probably some Tom Cruise Apple box stuff. Oh, 100 percent. It was. It was. And I always think about Jane, uh, Jane Lynch whenever I think about this movie, because this was before Glee. Like this was before she was like really famous and because she was in all those like, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, Eugene Levy movies, like For Your Consideration, for example, or Best in Show and things like that. And so people didn't really know Jane Lynch that well until like she became like a breakout star in the show Glee. But whenever I think of this movie, I always think about her and how she was really trying to get that dramatic movie career happening. And I don't know if it ever really happened for her, but I always remembered her in this movie. Um, but, you know, anyway, talking about Meryl Streep's, you know, performance specifically, like she's kind of really the only interesting part of the movie, if I'm being honest with you. Like <laughs> I kind of could care less about Amy Adams and her husband. And first of all, if could you imagine being friends with Amy Adams's character, Julie, in this movie, just never shutting the fuck up about Julia Child? Everything is Julia Child. Oh, I'm having a party. It's for Julia Child. I'm reading a blog about Julia Child every night and day. Just ex I would be like, OK, honey, you need to stop. Like, this is an obsession. You need to seek medical treatment or you need to stop mixing medications. Something is wrong here. You are obsessed. And I personally would, she just turned me off as a character. I really didn't care for her. Uh, me neither. Uh, and uh, it, it it, it, it wasn't about this movie, but I remember having a conversation with an ex-girlfriend of mine uh, a long time ago where uh, she was really upset at the way women are portrayed in films and on TV and things like that. And one of the things that she hated the most was that for some reason, and maybe it's just because it's a plot thing and an easy way to tell a story, but when a woman becomes interested in something in media, uh, it becomes their entire life. Like they don't, like, like women on screen can only have one interest and it, mm -hmm. it is fully, fully encompassing. And well, and then when I watch the movie now, I'm just like, yeah, no, Amy Adams is writing a blog where she's doing this cookbook thing, but she probably also likes other things. Like there's no right. way like this, this takes over her entire life. Right. Uh, to the point where it's like, it, it becomes her entire personality. That being said, like you're saying, uh, she's very one dimensional. Well, that's well, and especially in this, it's like, are you telling me that this this woman who seems intelligent and works at this nine uh, eleven place and does a lot of uh, <laughs> right. social work and like like there's there's a lot going on in her life and a lot of different aspects that can be played on it. But when you're watching her, she like turns herself. She's having a birthday party, and her birthday party, she dresses up as Julia Child, and it's like everything right. is Julia Child, and it's like yeah. okay, so you 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 have found an interest and a passion, but now this is the only thing you are you know and do and are known for and i don't i don't know any women like that where it's like oh this is going to be your whole personality now just right. this one thing forever yeah it's so true and that's and that's exactly it it's like like amy adams it's like just i can't today amy adams like i just i can't listen to anything about julia child today and then she would just be like oh but apparently this is the only thing about me absolutely um that it, that that was kind of frustrating but um, so yeah, I could just watch a whole movie of just Meryl Streep playing Julia Child. I, I, she had so many fantastic moments. I I loved um, how uh, devastated she was. Not like I don't love. I'm not relishing in it, but I just love the way that she acted out the scenes where you know she she couldn't have children and she oh, finds God. out. That, I'm, so, oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, and she finds out that her sister is pregnant and she's trying to be happy for her. And you can see how devastated she is. Like there were a lot of really nice moments from Meryl Streep that. You would expect, of course, from Meryl Streep, and she does it in that Julia Child voice, but it's not silly and it's not caricature. So she is kind of on this fine line of it being a little silly of a performance, but it's Meryl Streep, so she saves it and gives it dignity.
Yeah, and and a lot of uh, a lot of depth. Uh, I think I think it's those little interstitial scenes that mm-hmm. got her the nomination. Because like, if we're if I'm being honest, I, I don't want to lump you in with any of my opinions. Uh, <laughs> if we're being completely, if I'm being completely honest, I watched the film and I was like, uh, there isn't enough in the script here to merit. Uh, somebody getting nominated. Uh, there's no, the writing in this isn't strong enough for an actor to have been nominated for this, right? Uh, and especially for the the big set pieces with Meryl, there's nothing there for her to really do with. She's like, here I am, I'm Julia Child. Here's the funny voice. Here's the funny mannerisms. Here's the whole story. But when it was when we cut to Julia Child for only two minutes be, between Amy Adams parts. Cause they're, they're like, we'll go Amy Adams and then we'll do uh, uh, Meryl Streep and there'll be larger chunks. And then while we're trying to get Amy Adams story going, there's a few times where we go to, to Julia child just for a couple minutes before going back to Amy Adams. And I think it's those scenes that got her the nomination because getting the letter from her sister, she's happy to get the letter. She sits down, she reads the letter. She says, she's like, if, if you're reading the script, it's, she sits down and she says, I'm happy. I'm very happy for her. And Mm -hmm the actual acting of that scene is there are words that are being said out loud, but they are not what's happening in that scene. They are not the emotions that are in that scene and watching her realize that, Oh, I have to say this because it's the proper thing to say, but I am devastated. I am madly jealous and envious. And I, and, and there's, there's so much going on inside of me. And then opposite a Stanley Tucci who says, uh, I know, but not, I know you're happy, but, just the hug and the I know in a way that says, I know exactly what you're feeling. I feel the same way. I know that you need all of it was so beautiful in that moment. I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is a relationship. I wish I had, (laughs) it was just, it was so beautiful. And it happens a couple more times where it's just these tiny scenes where I'm like, this is why you nominate Meryl street. Not because she can do the funny voice without breaking, but because of, how much she can put into a simple, all she did was open, read a letter and hug her husband. That's the whole scene. And there's so much in that scene. Like Mm -hmm. you said, you're like, Oh, those scenes where you find out she can't have a child and all this stuff. That's never said. She never says she can't have a child. She never even talks about children, but that scene in those two minutes gives you more backstory than I think any of the Amy Adams, the entire movie. You learn more about Meryl Streep in that one scene than you do about Amy Adams through the entire movie. And I do agree with you about like the script. It, there wasn't really a lot there to have these kinds of big Oscar moments or anything like that. But I feel like her nomination was very much based on the fact that it was just like, wow, this is Julia Child. And then she saves it with these nice little moments. Um, a couple things about uh, this movie. So the bridge teacher that she, because uh, when Meryl Streep was trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to, what am I going to do with my life? And then she goes to bridge to occupy herself. Uh, the teacher was uh, Julia. I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. Prudum. It's P R U D apostrophe. Um, no, you know uh, it. Great. Uh, that's, that's uh, Julia child's grandniece. Um, interesting. Uh, this film marks uh, Meryl Streep's 12th consecutive loss. I just thought that was funny. Um, Louisette is, uh, remember the woman there that kind of got like, uh, she was part of the book, but then she wasn't contributing enough. So they just put her as like with in the title instead mm-hmm. of giving her full credit. Cause she, so she was basically like that classmate from every school project who, 
you know, just did no work, but wants to get the same grade as everybody else. I just have to say this. This is not a fact about this movie, but I was always the kid in the group project that was always doing the most work. And then it was always fucking Louisette. I hate Louisette and I hate her character. <laughs> so I don't I don't know you, Louisette, but fuck you. Uh, Nora Ephron and Meryl Streep also worked together on Silkwood and Heartburn. And in the story, whenever she showed that as an example from the American publisher where it was like real home cooking by Della Simmons, that was actually fake. The actual book that they gave Julia Child as an example of what America was looking for was called Helen Corbett's Cookbook, a 1957 bestseller by the director of food services for the Neiman Marcus department stores. And those are the little facts that I have about this movie overall. Great performance by Meryl Streep, of course, like obviously it's to be expected. And um, it actually kind of inspired me to want to buy this book. And I think I'm probably I like to cook. So I, I would actually love to see Julia Child's French mastering the art of French cooking. So I mean, it inspired me on some level. Side note, I do think that it was a bit mean and disappointing that she never shows up at the end of Amy Adams. And she actually uh, says that she's kind of disappointed with and doesn't find that Amy Adams's blog is very remarkable and that she's not a fan. And I thought that was kind of shitty of Julia Childs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the problem with uh, biopics, right? Uh, it's like, like I can't lie. Uh, she didn't come. Uh, she, she, she didn't she didn't like her but what i did like was that when she got that phone call and she's like uh she doesn't like me uh i was like of course she doesn't like you why did you think she was gonna like you yeah uh, like <laughs> have you not been watching the same movie as us amy adams she's not a particularly pleasant person she's quite self-involved uh <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> so it's like uh it's like uh yeah yeah uh she didn't like the other lady who decided to uh who uh, it is unconfirmed whether she wanted to add peas to the cuckovin right. uh but uh it's like she she was her friend and she wasn't particularly nice to her uh she probably thinks you're stealing uh her her thunder uh it didn't seem out of character to me that uh, Julia Child wouldn't like her. I, I would have liked that uh, I, that in real life that woman, uh, Julie, got uh, got invited to the 90th birthday. That would have been cool. Uh, but right. it in real life, uh, I mean, Kyle, you and I have met a lot of people, especially people in the <laughs> entertainment business. And does it yeah. surprise you in any way that someone who had been in the, in the biz for the last 60 years might not like a lady who's blogging about her yeah 100 percent. and i i totally get it i just thought it was just like a really funny like shitty way to just be like yeah fuck you julia child like, yeah it's like I'll making a sports movie uh based on a real thing but it's uh but the person but the the person you're doing is like uh they lost and also were murdered the next day yeah and you're like well maybe we don't do this movie then this this ending's not very satisfying I mean, I think so. I think for me, because I, I get it. I think for me, it's more just sort of like, you can't do that to your fans. You know what I mean? Like, you gotta, even if you fucking hate them and they drive you nuts, it's like, you gotta be like, thank I, you and make an effort and be like, really appreciate it, you know? I don't yeah. Know. And to be um, fair, I mean, Julia Child wasn't talking to Julie. She was talking to a reporter who asked her a question. Uh, she didn't, she wasn't made aware that Julie would ever find out she said those things. <laughs> She's like, oh, Amy Adams. She's like, fuck that cunt. Um, <laughs> okay. So do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? Um, no, I just to echo the uh, your initial sentiment uh, at the beginning of the movie when it says this is based on this book and also on Julia Child's book uh, memoir. Uh, I think you're right. I wish it had only been a, uh, based on one of those books. 
Yeah, I would. I personally would have found that more interesting. Uh, okay, so let us talk about Helen Mirren in The Last Station. So in this, she is the husband of Russian famous uh, author of War and Peace and Anna Karenina, uh, Leo Tolstoy. But I'm also not sure if it was Leo Tolstoy or Lev Tolstoy. Anyway, she is his wife. And she was famously very eccentric and I'm going to assume had a lot of mental health problems. But this was in the uh, 19th century whenever those things didn't really exist. And if you did have a mental health problem, they just, I don't know, locked you away and threw away the key or something. Um, Geez, how would you describe this movie? So basically, it's just sort of the end of Leo Tolstoy's life and his fans because he does not believe in the uh, not capitalist but he does not believe in in um people like the rich like class systems and things like this and all of his fans they find they almost find him to be like almost like a deity of some kind like a like a prophet they love him so much and they're trying to get all of his work into public domain but helen mirren being the countess was like no because i want the royalties to ensure my family's future but then leo tolstoy's whole philosophy is like no it belongs to the people and basically that's just the ultimate conflict in this movie um there's so much more that we will uh get into it james mcavoy is in this movie he's a little cutie patootie uh and i actually hate him as a like as a person in interviews i can't stand him but as an actor i think he's brilliant uh very very cute okay what did you think about uh the last station uh it was uh, i had i it was a, it was a struggle <laughs> yeah <laughs> well christopher Plummer was also nominated for a supporting role but god this movie was kind of boring yeah yeah um uh, i'm watching it and at the beginning i'm like okay cool and i like james mcavoy's character but then there's a lot of things it suffers from the uh the fact that it was made before netflix uh i think uh because mm. I think if somebody had said, we're doing the last station, we're doing the last days of Tolstoy, uh, uh, let's do it. Uh, let's make it a 10 episode miniseries right. uh, because uh, they're trying to get so much of a Tolsto- Tolstoy and his uh, politics going uh, that anything else is like, we need to start this and end this as fast as possible. So James McAvoy's character is going to meet a girl, sleep with a girl, fall in love with a girl, and we'll be obsessed with a girl. But we've only got 15 minutes to do that over the course of this film. Right. Uh, so let's Lock try and make, so let's do that. Uh, uh, but in doing that, I wasn't interested in anything. They're trying to like show some politics stuff. They're trying to show the commune. They're trying to show all sorts of these little things. And I'm just not interested in it. And if we're being absolutely uh, uh, honest about uh, all of this stuff, uh, Christopher Plummer being nominated and Helen Mirren being nominated makes sense to me because they are literally the only good thing about this movie. I mean, that's true because the thing is, is I do agree with you. There was too many things going on. Side note, the original cast was Meryl Streep and Anthony Hopkins, but I digress. Um, and you know, when you're watching a movie like this, you realize immediately you're like, oh, it was the acting that was singled out, not necessarily like the story or like, you know, it's not like best picture or something like that. But whenever I was watching this movie, you know, Helen Mirren is like this lonely countess and, uh, she's become sick of her husband's status to the people. 
you know, and so she rebels against everyone and everything. Uh, and it, it makes her seem like a bad person in a way because she just wants her husband to herself. But it's like this weird, but he belongs to the people and you completely sympathize with her character. It's like, no, that's her husband. Like they had, what was it? It was a ridiculous amount of kids and they have 13 kids or it was just something weird like that. It was a lot of fucking kids. And so it's like, no, they had a life together. This is her husband and and she wants to be with him the most. But then even he kind of turns against her because he begins to think that, oh, she doesn't understand me because I belong to the people. And he becomes this thing that he's created to the public. And she, I think, has a hard time either accepting that or maybe she just refuses to accept it. But, you know, you see her outbursts and you see her behavior. It, it I didn't really think she was acting crazy, if I'm being honest with you. I think that's how everybody else regarded her. But I completely understood, like, if my if my husband was constantly being taken away from me near the end of his life, I'd be like, fuck you. Like, I am married to this person. I have been with him his whole life. He should spend his last days with me, not with the fans. Like, fuck off. So I, I liked her in this movie, and I, I I understood her character. I didn't think that she was kind of the... And I think that that's what Meryl... Uh, Meryl but this is what he, uh, Helen Mirren did so brilliantly, is you understood her side and you had sympathy for her character when if you think about it in a way her character is kind of being presented as like not the villain but like just sort of as like an annoying crazy woman but that's not how she plays it and she plays it very sympathetic and i really really liked her i am so so happy because uh when you started uh explaining <laughs> <laughs> explaining Helen Mirren's character. I'm like, oh, we are going to have a wild disagreement. And uh, this might be the first time where I flat out argue <laughs> with Kyle on his own podcast. Uh, right. But no, I'm so glad that uh, that's that's where you ended because uh, uh, when I watch Her- Helen Mirren's character in this and watch her performance in this, uh, uh, I had I had the fortune of uh, dating an incredible woman uh, who is uh, uh, very high strung, uh, very... Uh, melodramatic uh, uh it's it, it's an exciting a, a person who's exciting to be with basically a woman who is very aware of herself but also is extravagant in in all things uh so uh, a reaction will always be slightly more it'll always be slightly theatrical mm-hmm. and uh and it, it's fun to be around and i can see why leo tolstoy would uh, like a beautiful woman with a lot of passion uh and so you can see why they're married and i could it all i, I also know that it can wear on you uh from time to time <laughs> and so maybe after 13 children and 60 years uh, you can see where he's like Oh no, you're doing the thing again. Okay, I'm just going to ignore you until you you stop rolling around on the ground screaming. Uh, once your temper tantrum is done, we'll start uh, speaking again. Uh, but the more that happens, the more dismissive uh, he becomes of it. And then when he's at the he's at the crossroads of his life, where he's just like, uh, I want my work for the people. Uh, I, the things that I think and the things that I write are bigger than me, and they're going to save the world. And uh, I understand what you're saying, but the two things can't be the same. So sorry, wife, uh, I'm going to have to do this other thing because this other person has convinced me. And so you watch a woman who it's basically like the woman who cried wolf. She's been Mm -hmm. melodramatic her entire life. And so it was easy to dismiss her when she started actually having a like a a, a real point. Excuse me. Because that's because she's like, no, no, he's 
trying to steal your stuff. He's trying to he's trying to cripple your 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 family's ability to survive after this. He's like he's taking the inheritance to your children. He's trying to and he's convinced you that it's a good idea. Like she's finally like she's like, why is nobody listening to me? I'm being logical right now. And right. it's like, yeah, but we're so used to you being overdramatic that we assume that's what's happening right now. So it's easy to dismiss your concerns because you're a big drama queen. And so <laughs> you're watching a woman who's just like, okay, <clears throat> maybe if I throw a tantrum, that works sometimes. And then that doesn't work. It gets her pushed away. And then near the end of it, uh, th- th- you'll see moments where she's like trying to pull back from the tantrum to be like, no, no, like li- literally this guy is stealing from you. Like stop listening to this guy. He's trying to ruin the whole family. I'm the one who loves you. Do you not understand? We are a team, not this stupid idiot who showed up at the end of your life to tell you to give away all your shit. That's not who you should be. And uh, you, you nailed it. Like she, like that, that razor's edge of don't play a crazy person, Uh, uh, play uh, just play an overdramatic person who is still very, very intelligent. Yeah. Also, I side note, I mean, this is maybe more of an aesthetic thing, but I mean, if you're in Russia and you're Russian, maybe do a Russian accent. That would have been, (laughs) that would have been nice. Uh, I do think, you know, like just a little bit, uh, because Paul Giamatti, the like, I guess the antagonist Chertkov there, he was his, I don't know what he was doing. (laughs) Like the accent that he had, it was kind of American, kind of British, like not really. It was, it was, I I don't know I that maybe that's also a maybe a directorial choice but I didn't enjoy that I I would have liked to have seen a very Russian sounding Helen Mirren that would have been fun for me um and you're right I think that because her tricks because she you know the the boy who cried wolf or the girl who cried wolf or whatever you want to call it you're right that is totally a thing for her character and so she kind of has to compete for his affection I think one of my favorite moments is when she like they're talking about the will. And, um, you know, she wants to eavesdrop. So she literally climbs out of a window and, you know, makes her way across the the railing and climbs in and she's freaking out and stuff like that. I just I really like that she kind of played the character in an unlikable, annoying kind of way. But then when you understood why she was acting the way that she did, you almost felt like her dramatics were um, called for or you just or like you understood why they were valid or warranted or and and i think that helen mirren did a really good job of of like she clearly understood the character and she clearly understood like her methods of why she was always being so dramatic and like you're saying maybe that was like her only way to get whatever it was that she wanted and that was her only resource I mean, I don't know what it was like to be a woman in 19th century Russia. Well, not just Russia. that. Even it, it, whether or not it's 19th century Russia or today, we know people like that where it's like, look, the, these are the tools that I've used my entire life. I have right. Like, she's not going to walk in there and be able to uh, to politically lay out <laughs> to lay out the proper <laughs> political thing. She's not going to explain economics to these two men. Like th- those aren't the tools that are in her shed. She she has the love of her husband who is devoted to her. And when that's not enough, she has temper tantrums. These are the tools yeah. that she, that are honed because they're the only ones she's ever used. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like any anybody who's upset that this is the way she reacted is like, well, how what which how how was she going to get her way any other way? What else right. should she have done? And do you think she would have been capable to do that? Yeah, I think one of the 
best moments, um, <clears throat> excuse me, was uh, whenever he is on his deathbed and 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 she comes in and she freaks out whenever he is gone. You know, that was a really nice acting moment whenever she realizes that he leaves to go to it's called the last station because he dies at this train station. And, and then when she finds out that he's left the property and um, which was like a castle, by the way, and she has that freak out and she goes to I essentially kill herself in in the pond or the river or whatever the fuck it was, you know. Um, I also, but then she brings comedy to it whenever, you know, she was being melodramatic and she's like, "Oh my god, my back!" And then they're like, "You're lying on a fork," and she's like, "Oh, you know." So there was just sort of some humor in it, and and I liked that about her character, and she played it in sort of a serious way, but also sometimes a bit of a silly way. And like we said before, when we were initially talking about this film you're right i i feel like helen mirren and and christopher Plummer were really the only reason to watch this movie because everything else that was going on i just didn't really care for i really would have liked uh the entire movie to just be the two of them if if we hear anything about cherkov uh it's we hear about it uh, yeah. like be through an argument that they're having i think it would have been a, a much more uh, interesting film uh, and a lot more going on because Again, to speak to the intelligence of Helen Mirren's character, uh, she spends the entire movie <clears throat> calling out Leo. Like the entire uh-huh. movie, Leo's like, no, no, socialism, the people, my work is for the people. We shouldn't be taking the money. We shouldn't be doing all this stuff. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You live in a goddamn castle. Exactly. People wait on you hand and goddamn foot. You're the yeah. first person at the dinner table. Yeah. Getting fed stuff. Like, don't tell me you're here for the people. You're here for the people you feel like you're here for the people because all of your needs are met and they're met with speed and reverence. It's like, trust me, if you were just a normal person, you wouldn't hold these beliefs, but it's like, it's easy to be like, no, no money. Isn't necessary food. Like everybody should uh, have all the equal things when you're the one who's elevated and she's Mm -hmm. calling them out on this all the time. She's like, you're in hypocrite. Stop being a hypocrite. (laughs) People are feeding you uh, grapes uh, my Lord, right. uh, while you right. say that uh, everybody should have their fair share. It's like, you're being, you're being a hypocrite. Just let our kids have an inheritance. God damn it. And the daughter that was so against uh, Helen Mirren seeing him before he died. I, you know, obviously as an audience member, you hate her. And I love whenever Helen Mirren was literally like, you know, um, I lost, I lo- I've lost my children before, but like, why couldn't one of them been you? Like, cause she just fucking hates her. And I was like, Oh, that was nice to hear. Um, okay, so just, did, is there anything else that you would like to add to her performance before we move on? Just that one uh, piece about her daughter uh, <laughs> where I was like, I, it's not really about Helen Mirren. It's about uh, the daughter character. Uh, I got to the end of the movie and I was like, why is this character in here? I spent the entire movie absolutely sure that w- the twist was going to be that she's fucking Paul Giamatti and they're stealing the money. Oh, right. Okay, I'm like, that's gotta yeah. be what's happening, right? Like the only reason yeah. she would let this happen to her family is because she's getting the money. And yes. then I don't know if that actually happened, but the movie certainly didn't say so. And I'm like, so what's this daughter here for then? She did nothing this whole movie. Yeah. And I guess what was it in the end? They were like, and Helen Mirren's, uh, you know, she lived out for, until like the early 1900s and she died rich and you're like, oh, okay. So then bing, bang, boom. There you go. The last station. Um, okay. So let us talk about 
uh, Carrie Mulligan in An Education. So this is a very British movie, so I loved it. And in this movie, you have a 16-year-old dating, like, a 30, 40-something-year-old. It was bas- This is basically the story of, like, Celine Dion and René Angelou. And in this movie, Carrie Mulligan is the student, and she, uh, it's raining, and then uh, Peter Skarsgård comes by and picks her up, and then, you know, they fall in love, and... You know, this is during the time in the 60s whenever you could be, like, 16 dating an older man because, oh, if he marries you, then, like, you're all set for life. But the whole point of the movie is it's like, well, like, are women just housewives or is there a purpose to their education and going to Oxford or going to Cambridge and you know, supporting themselves. It's like, do they need to get married or or, or do they need to have an education or do they need to have both or, you know? And so um, I've seen this movie a few times. This is one of those movies, I have to be honest with you, where <laughs> I feel like as a straight guy, I would love Carrie Mulligan's performance more and appreciate it more because frankly, this movie, I've seen it before and it's not that I don't like it. I do like this movie, but it just doesn't really do anything for me. But the way that this film is regarded and the way that people regard this performance because she did win the BAFTA for Best Lead Actress, I don't get it. Um, if I'm being honest with you, I think that she's really great in the movie and I love the movie, but I don't understand why people love this movie as much as they do, if that makes sense. So, um, what did, what do you think? Uh, I'm a straight man. I loved it. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, please tell me why, because I'm trying to figure it out. I remember the first time I watched it where I was like, uh, uh, where, where I watched it and I don't remember being as uncomfortable as I was watching it this week. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, maybe it's cause I was younger at the time. When was this? 2009? Uh, yeah. So yep. I was still, yeah, I was still in my twenties at the time. So yeah, that would make sense. Uh, so it was like, uh, you're look, I'm looking at it and it's like, okay, I know Carrie Mulligan is actually 19 or 20 or whatever, but, uh, yeah. whatever. I think she was 21 <clears throat> or 22 when she did yeah. this movie. So it's like, uh, oh, 22. Yeah. She was 22. So I'm watching this movie where it's like, I know this woman's only like four or five years younger than I am. And she's beautiful. She's doing a great job and, uh, and absolutely believable in the character. And I, I think maybe I thought maybe, uh, yeah, she did a, a great job. Uh, and then I'm watching it now and I'm like, this seems like a pretty stereotypical role for a lot of women in Hollywood. Uh, so, and right. she, and she, 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 I mean, she's Carrie Mulligan is a fantastic actress, uh, but I think we've seen, especially in her last role that she has way more chops than she shows in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, this one is, uh, and, and, and it was good. It was fine. I found it very, very uncomfortable watching it. Uh, yeah. and I think it's cause I'm the father of daughters. 100 percent absolutely and you know when the movie first starts because when I, I remember when i first saw this you know the opening scene it's like these girls are balancing books on their head so i thought that it was going to be like there's this joke on american dad where roger is running like a finishing school for girls and he makes them balance books on their head and he goes remember girls those books are not for reading a literate girl is a lonely girl so i thought that the book the movie was going to be about like oh like educating women is a bad 
bad idea. Like it, women are just supposed to be property. Women are supposed to. That's where I thought it was going at first. And I was like, oh, dear God, what is this going to be? Like, I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen Mona Lisa Smile with um, Julia Roberts and Kirsten Dunst and all that. And it's like, that's the whole premise of the movie where it's like, oh, why get an education when you can get a husband? And so I thought it was going to be another one of these kinds of stories. And then it ended up being a lot creepier. Um, <laughs> Peter Skarsgård, though, because the last movie that I, I, I saw. OK, your listeners, <laughs> your, your listeners right now are losing their goddamn minds. Uh, unfortunately <laughs> for Peter, he is not part of the wonderful Skarsgård family of actors. Uh, he is just Sarsgard. He did not. Oh, earn it's the K. Sarsgard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he probably misspoke the first time. But now that you've said Skarsgård again, I, I don't want your listeners to be like, Kyle. Wait, what do you mean? No, but it is with a K. No, it's Sarsgard. Peter Sarsgard. Mm, education. Yeah, you're you're googling. Too. Oh, it is Sarsgard. See, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm gonna get another. I'm gonna get another message about this. But you're oh, like, oh, but besides, no, no, this 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 podcast isn't best guy in a movie. It's best actress. Who cares what that guy's <laughs> name was? <laughs> but Peter Sarsgaard, compared to what he who he was in Boys, in Boys Don't Cry, I mean, it's crazy to see uh, mm. the the range that he has. Because in Boys Don't Cry, he's like the hate crime man, and then in this, you know, he's like this posh British man, who, still a hate crime, still a hate, sure, it, not a hate crime, but like a a felony of some kind for sure. Um, although they did have sex on her 17th birthday. Maybe it's legal on the 17th birthday. To be know. fair, and this was my favorite part of the movie, uh, uh, they don't have sex on her 17th birthday. They have sex on the day after her 17th birthday because he fucks it up. All right, yes. <laughs> he does something stupid, and she's like, are you fucking kidding me right now? No, we are not fucking. We are not having but sex. We'll have sex tomorrow. <laughs> but the thing is about this movie is you, there is a point that you have to get to where you have to just accept it and then just be like, all right, we're going to just go like we're I'm strapped in. We're going to watch this movie. You know what I mean? Like it's it's creepy. It makes me uncomfortable. But let's you know, what? it's like, let's just finish this movie and let's just let's just see how this goes. You are absolutely right. I did get to that point. And then he said, can I see them? And it brought me right back to what am I watching? <laughs> Well, I mean, by watching this, I love Kyle so much. I will watch the rest of this movie, <laughs> but I had just gotten to terms that everybody's okay with him being with a 16 year old girl. But then he said, can I see them though? Basically it was like the nice, the, the, because it's a movie that they're trying to put into theaters. Uh, it's, he might as well have just said just the tip. Right. Like like that in that moment it's just like I know we can't fuck but can we just fuck a little? <laughs> <laughs> oh anyway, it's so weird. I'm like uh I wish I had watched it with my daughter so I can say, "Look, this guy is a loser." Yeah. She was perfectly cast, you know, she was the right fit for a coming of age character. She carries it very very well. Um she has uh, fantastic monologues where when she's arguing with Emma Thompson. Frankly, I could just watch Carrie Mulligan and Emma Thompson having an academic argument for an hour and a half and I would be perfectly content with that. That was great when she was basically saying like, you know, it's it's boring and it's pointless all of this edge like learning and, and all this education and stuff like that and then she's like well then what the fuck is the point like you know i i love all of those back and forths and and stuff like that but ultimately 
um, spoiler alert, you find out that Peter Sarsgaard is married, <laughs> is married, and um, Sally Hawkins is his wife, and they have a kid, and then um, she, it fucks her over because she didn't take her examinations to get into Oxford. So then she has to take a year off of her life to kind of um, own that choice that she made. And then she does eventually study and she does get into Oxford in the end. But, um, you know, I I think that Carrie Mulligan's performance for me was um, compelling. I, I, I was interested i i found more of like her academic situation to be a little bit more interesting because you don't often see a lot of lead actress stories about nerdy academic girls let's be honest um except for like the queen's gambit and that's it so you know it is that was kind of interesting and um uh it was sort of interesting to see this academic girl choose something a bit reckless um and you know i I found that to be sort of like an interesting thing about her character. Also, her character was more than one dimensional. She was not just obsessed with Julia Child. You know, she had interested in in art and music and going to France. And she was also interested in maybe having a family or maybe having a husband. She was a very realistic character, very um, multifaceted. Um, and yeah, there is that point where you realize, oh, it was a different time for women and men could actually date literal teenagers uh, and hang out outside of their high school and pick them up in their car. And I guess this was so socially acceptable back then. So when you do get into it, I guess there is a point where you're just sort of like, all right, it is what it is. Um, I, I liked this movie. It, it, it is a bit creepy though, but I did like the movie. I did like the movie too. Every, everybody in it was incredible. Uh, Alfred Molina was great. Uh, the woman who plays his wife was great. <clears throat> uh, even, even Peter Sarsgaard was great, but, um, <clears throat> there were a couple of uh, things that uh, that I that I wished had been played a bit more, like the uh, like the the other the other woman uh, who's uh, who's with the other guy. First of all, I didn't really understand their relationship because it seemed like his friend was hitting on her as much as he was, and then there was a whole oh, with jealousy. Rosamund Pike? <clears throat> yes, Rosamund Pike. Thank you. <laughs> that was originally Orlando Bloom. His name was David, the the friend there. That was originally. Oh, I thought you meant Rosamund Orlando Pike's Bloom. character used to be Orlando <laughs> Bloom. I'm like, that oh, I'd like to watch. I'd watch that, sure. Um, but yeah, but the David character that was originally Orlando Bloom. I really like the guy who played David. I'm glad it wasn't Orlando Bloom. Uh, anyway, um, not the point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, Carrie Mulligan. Uh, 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 th- there is one thing uh, that uh, uh, that ho- I hope you have in your notebook. Um, one of the things that I love the most about this movie, I think the greatest part of this movie uh, from a, I'm assuming it's a directorial choice, but the ability at the beginning of the movie uh, to uh, have her be a 16-year-old girl. Uh, and then the first time she goes out, she appears like a 16-year-old girl with makeup on. Mm-hmm. But by the time she's going to Paris and she's in this relationship with him and they're, they're starting, she's starting to find out they're criminals and stuff, she doesn't look like a 16-year-old girl anymore. Mm-hmm. She's starting to look like, a, she looks like a woman. And then when she finds out who he really is and then breaks down and then doesn't get back, isn't accepted back into school. She looks like she's 12 years old. 
Like the makeup and hair and, and just the way she holds her face and herself, like she doesn't change age in the movie, but her personality changes age. And it's so beautifully done that at the end of the movie, I'm looking at her and it's like, you would have to, you would have to show me a birth certificate for me to believe she was even 16 years old by the Uh end of the movie. Cause she looks so young and just, just, just a innocent, she's just a child. And it was just like, for me, that that arc of what they did with her uh, with her was incredible to me. Well, that's interesting that you say that. I didn't actually write it down, but I did read that the way that they did it um, in the end was that at the beginning of the movie, her hair is parted um, to sort of represent that she doesn't understand like she's divided because she doesn't know exactly where she wants to go with her life because it's basically like her father telling her like you have to go to oxford you have to do this you have to do that and then she also has like a yearning to go to france and to get married so she it's supposed to be parted and then whenever she meets uh peter sarsgaard and then their relationship blossoms it's like her hair changes and and there's no more of a part but then at the end of the movie and her hair starts like going up and then at the end of the movie it's parted again uh, to represent that, like she has changed, but also now, uh, I don't know. Maybe she understands both lives or both ends of her decision. Like I'm not sure exactly, but yes, specifically, I did read that they did that on purpose. Um, but that's very interesting that you that you picked up on that. You're very observant. Um, well, that it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it was it. Yeah, <laughs> um, one of my favorite lines was when she said that she felt old but not very wise and um the writing in this movie was just i loved it um this actually marked the first time in oscar history that two best picture nominees were directed by women catherine bigelow and uh lane Scherfig. and i think that the moral of this story is uh hey ladies don't get into strangers cars and don't date married men when you are 16 (laughs) it's a fun movie to watch if you can just accept it for what it is, the acting is incredible. And I was, I was not bored. You have fantastic performances from everybody. I loved seeing, um, you know, just sort of like a strong, intelligent academic girl who makes her own choices for 1960s. I'm sure that was probably uh, unheard of, or at least rare. And um, I think that Carrie Mulligan nailed the role. And I think that, she was the right fit for the role and i really enjoyed watching her in it so yeah that's what i, I agree say. i think she was very very good and yeah i think front to back it's a great movie uh do you have anything else that you like to add before we move on uh yeah uh if you are 30 don't date 16 year olds you creepy fucks <laughs> I feel like he was older than that. He had to be like at least 35, 40, like at least. Well, when, when, when his wife says, uh, uh, oh, another one, uh, uh, are you pregnant? Because that's happened before. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, Yum. oh, this bitch. Oh, I love yeah. her. <laughs> <laughs> and she just runs away. Oh. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Gabourey Sidibe in the movie Precious. So this movie was based on the book Push, and uh, I actually so this is directed by Lee Daniels. I um I I've heard of Precious. I knew who Gabourey Sidibe was. I'm actually more familiar with her from American Horror Story Coven than I am actually Precious. This was my first time watching it, and oh, it is a heavy 
movie. It just gets, it goes from bad to worse. And Monique is fantastic in this movie. But basically the story is about Precious, this woman that is born in the projects in uh, 1987 in New York. And she is sexually assaulted and raped from a young time. She has a baby that has Down syndrome. And then when she's 16, she's like raped again by her mom's boyfriend. Then she's pregnant. He gives her HIV. She can't read. She has to go to a special school. Um, It's just... And these are just the things off the top of my head. Like it's it, it, this movie is so difficult to watch. Um, Gabare Sidibe is the perfect choice for this character, and it was she was. This was the first time I've seen it. I was so impressed with the performance. I was so impressed with the movie. But holy fuck, I had to watch this movie in installments. Like I would watch it for like fifteen minutes, pause, and then I would go for a walk or I would like do the dishes or I would like have like I needed to like because it was just so intense. Um had have you had you seen this movie before? I had not. Um it and on purpose. Uh, right. I knew I knew for a fact that it was uh, uh that it was uh lauded as a masterpiece that uh that uh, that Gabaret was uh, uh transcendent. Uh, I, I knew everything I was supposed to know about it. But because I knew that this was uh, a heavy, heavy movie about very, very heavy things, <clears throat> I I had no interest of putting myself through that. Well, yeah, because it's like, you know, it's like, are you just going to throw on Schindler's List? Like, oh, yeah, I'm in the mood for Holocaust. Like, totally. Like, I get it. <laughs> well, yeah. Right. And it's like, it's like, and, and but it's the difference because uh, well, Schindler's List, you know what it's about. And you know, you're going to be sad at the end. But there's still like, it's still a, a beautiful. There's all this other stuff with it. it's like the boy in the striped pajamas or uh, or uh, right. the, the the Italian movie about the Holocaust that I really like that. I, but uh, it's, it's heavy <laughs> material. Yeah, but it's but but with this movie, they're just like, oh, yeah, we're not going to. There's going to be no sugarcoating. Uh, there's, there's no, we're not going to, there's no levity. We're not, we're not going to, we're not going to let, we're not going to let our, our feet off your neck uh, mm-hmm. during this movie. And so I, and that's the, what I was told. And so that's why I didn't want to mm-hmm. watch it when it originally came out or hadn't watched it. So when it, when the opportunity came to watch it for your podcast, I'm like, you know what, Let, let's do it. Let's finally <laughs> see this movie. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I regret not having seen it sooner. Um, I think watching it in installments may have been a worse idea because you, <laughs> because I think you sat in it longer than I would have had to, yeah, uh, just cause you're like, Oh, I've got to live with that and force myself to go back. Uh, I watched it in one sitting. It was not nearly as, uh, as, uh, as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, and I think it's because of how matter of factly they dealt with, uh, all of the terrible, terrible things. So, what I thought was going to happen was when something terrible happens to Gabourey, one of the awful, terrible things that happens to her, it would be played out the same way the tension in a horror movie would be like the, the strings would come up. We'd live in the tension a little bit, and then you'd watch this graphic, terrible thing. And it wasn't, uh, when terrible things happened, it was almost documentary like. And so it was like, Yeah, yeah. like the like the glamour fantasies, like whenever she dissociates. Well, there's the yeah, that's a whole other thing where you just like I I love that level of things. But like when bad things happen, they they just happen. Like they just happen, and then they're done. Uh, They they don't linger on them. And for me, it was just like, first of all, it, it helps you settle into the fact that it's like the horror of 
This is so commonplace in every day that even the director and the editor didn't feel the need to embellish this part. Right. And the the horrifying understanding of that, of knowing that, no, they're like, no, no, this is just a thing that happens. Uh, I'm, we're going to film this and edit it together the same way as we're going to film the scene where she goes to the front desk and that lady doesn't know her name. Uh, we're going to put right. exactly as much gravitas on that scene as this scene because we need you to understand that this isn't a special occasion or or an extreme thing. This is her day to day. And that yeah. blew my mind. But yes, oh, heavy, heavy movie. I mean, it's draining. The whole thing is just draining from start to finish. And you're right. I probably shouldn't have paused it, but like I, I just I just had to. And um you know, Monique in the movie as well, like just mother of the year here, like she actually accepted this role to raise awareness of sexual abuse um, uh, of victims of incest because she actually was one. And uh, she found the role, she was scared to play it, but she actually found it to be quite therapeutic, um, which I I mean, okay. Um, even though she's quite violent in this movie. Um, it's a way of, you know, uh, therapy, I suppose. Um, the way that Gabourey Sidibe got this role was that a friend at college told her about an open call audition and she was not going to go to it. But on the morning of the audition, on her route to school, uh, her route was blocked by a film crew that was uh, working on American Gangster. So because it was blocked, she just decided to go to the audition instead. And she got it, which is kind of a meant-to-be moment. Uh, Helen Mirren was originally the social worker that Mariah Carey played. By the way, Mariah Carey was very good in this movie because I only think of her in Glitter, which yikes. And uh, Jeffrey Fletcher became the first. Did you say Mariah Carey? Mm, Yeah, I know, right? You can't even recognize her. She she was the social worker. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Am I blowing your mind right now? Yeah, that was Mariah Carey. Tonight. (laughs) Yeah, that the 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 social worker. She has like the long the one where she says, "I'm not coming back anymore because you can't handle this. This is too much for you." Mm. Uh, is that social worker that she says the, that to? No, the one that goes and gets her a soda pop from the machine, and then she steals her files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's Mariah Carey. <laughs> Shut the like, haul it like we're about to hear her own her only hit in a couple in a month here, Mariah Carey. <laughs> uh well she has 20 of them but yes that's the one that is that <laughs> is mariah shit. carey yeah no you've blown my mind okay sorry i've derailed the podcast back on track please <laughs> and uh jeffrey fletcher became the first african-american to win an oscar for best adapted screenplay for this movie and the reason why you were saying that like like le- like knee or leg on your neck and it's not relenting uh is because at the end of the movie they say like for all of the preciouses of the world because that is kind of the whole point of the movie is to give um, perspective to people in places of privilege and that they can see that this is someone's life. Like there are people that live these horrible, abusive lives and they come out of these situations. I'm really happy that she lives in the end because she was HIV positive. So I thought it would end in like, like AIDS or I thought it was going to end. But then how would she have written the book? Yeah, right. Exactly. But I was, I was like, ah, like I was like, oh no, because this is just getting worse and worse and worse. But in the end, you know, she picks herself up and she learns to read, and she is in like a halfway house, and she gets her child, and she just she reclaims her life, and she never sees her mother again. And um, it's a very, 
I guess sort of an empowering or maybe more of an inspiring ending, maybe not empowering, but like an inspiring ending. And I just thought, yeah, this movie was <laughs> this was really hard to watch, but it was an incredible performance. Very like- believable, very real. Uh, is it is it a terrible thing that right now I have uh, uh, so much respect for Mariah Carey? Is that weird? <laughs> and it's not that I didn't recognize her because like I, I just pulled up pictures of her on Google uh, in the movie and I'm like, how did I not know that was Mariah Carey? And mm-hmm. I think it's because it never occurred to me that it could be Mariah Carey because she did she was incredible. And I'm like, and yeah. I, I don't think I've ever thought Mariah Carey would be a, a, an incredible actress. <clears throat> well, because anyway. I mean, glitter, glitter was like a, it was like one of the biggest disasters in movie history. So yeah, most people think she can't act, but everybody in there, it's, it's like, it's everybody is perfect. And more to your point where you were saying, uh, uh, this movie was to show that this happens a lot. Uh, there's the little girl uh, that uh, that always wants to play with Precious, and then at the end is in the uh, same place, and you can see that her mother treats her the same way. And it's it bookends that whole idea where it's like, again, the way that it's filmed, the way that they show uh, bad things happening to Precious uh, and everything else. It's like, no, no, this is not only is it a day to day, but it's a day to day for most of them. Uh, yeah. Precious isn't special. She's not a. This isn't a unique case and a story of a, of a, of of a very unique thing. This isn't. This is just this. This is a regular story of people here, and it's yeah. Mm-hmm. That the movie was. I'm so sad it took me this long to watch it. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, and and, and you know, I think one of the hard, the most fucked up things in the movie is when she has her newborn, like days old. And uh, she falls down the stairs because her mom like whack, like threw something at her. And it was like a, I think like a potted well, there's plant. The t- or... There's the TV. Yeah, like, she what? fucking throws oh the TV at her. Like <gasps> it was just, yeah. And you're right. I think that is very true. You're right. She wasn't this special, unique, talented, you know, um, precocious child. She was just this illiterate girl that has that was in a really shitty circumstance and that's i'm sure maybe for film i mean especially i mean this wasn't even that long ago 2009 that was probably very groundbreaking i mean it did win um you know the oscar for best adapted screenplay um i do i do think though that we are running out a bit of time here so i think we do need to move on but i will just say that incredible performance really difficult to watch but but that is a credit to the performance because it's so real and uh, gabaray sidibate absolutely nailed it yep it's a wonderful front to back and uh uh yeah i mean we got we got to get sandra bullock but uh gotta get sandy b such a yeah such an incredible film and gabaray did such an incredible job and so great seeing her in the end, standing up to her mother and and saying, you know, you'll never see me again. And mwah, beautiful. Okay. So let's talk about Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side, a.k.a. the white savior movie of all time. So at this time, we were not having that type of conversation about our relationship with uh, race and interracial relationships in film except for the white savior movie. You have Avatar, you have Fern Gully, you have Dances with Wolves, and oftentimes uh, the people of color in the film are reduced down to stereotypes. A lot of the story of Michael Orr, a.k.a. Big Mike, the football player who... um, So this is the story of Michael Orr uh, being 
uh, brought in by uh, the Tui family in uh, uh, where's Tennessee? It's in. Oh, my God. Tennessee is the state. Tennessee is the state. And then where where are they from? They're from. I have no idea. Some football place in Tennessee. Was it Mississippi? Were they in Mississippi? No, I that's remember. also a state. We're so Canadian right now. I, I know, I know, I know. But I'm I'm just trying to remember what state they were from. Was it Texas? Was it Mississippi? They're from the South, somewhere, somewhere cousin fucking. I don't know. But anyway, the point is, is that in this movie, uh, you know, it's basically uh the Tui family. They take in Michael Orr and they uh nurture him, and then uh ultimately he goes on to be an NFL first draft pick for. Uh, the, I think it's the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I'm probably so wrong about that, but anyway, um, this movie was a departure for Sandra Bullock because she was only known for romantic comedies. And, uh, when they, critics saw her in this, she had no idea that this was even an Oscar movie. She thought her performance was terrible. She, uh, originally it was Julia Roberts. They tried to get her to sign on to this three or four times. She said no, because she didn't want to play a devout Christian. Uh, she had a conflict with that. And, um, so Sandy B came in and she genuinely thought that she was doing a terrible job. And in interviews after winning this Oscar, um, they were like, did you, did you think that you were going to win? And she was like, no, I only signed on to this movie because these are the types of films that I was somewhat familiar with, but no, I had no idea that this was an Oscar, uh, film. I had no idea this was an Oscar role. And yeah, I'm delightfully surprised by, uh, how it was received. And she's obviously quite happy that she got her Oscar, but up until this point, people only knew her for rom-coms. And she said that she's like, in my in my type of acting roles that I normally got, the awards that I would win would be like best hissy fit or best kiss MTV movie awards, things like that. So winning an Oscar, this is what marked the change in her career. Um, talking about who she was playing in this movie, Leanne Tui, she's the matriarch of the family. Um, you know, she basically is just sort of like that nightmare white woman in every single customer service sort of situation where she's a spitfire. I would say obnoxious, but a spitfire. She's very much like buds into everybody else's lives and kind of takes over and tells people how it's going to be. And um, now that, you know, you have the BLM movement and we're becoming more socially aware and we're talking about race a lot more in society, I would say that this movie doesn't really age well, considering the fact that a lot of the story of Michael Orr in this movie is simply not true. And what I mean by that is that, first of all, the Michael Orr actually hated the way that they Forrest Gumped his depiction, where he seemed very unskilled, passive, barely, you know, he barely knew anything about football, but the actual truth, the situation was he had been playing football for years and like his whole life. He was a very skilled player at a very young age. He had was already living with other families at when he was attending this school. And some of those families were also black families. And then eventually he ended up with the Tui family. Um, so that was just simply not true. And uh, 
okay, there's a lot to cover here. I don't want to get too much into the white savior because that's a totally different to- like that's I just wanted to say that to acknowledge it. But let's just talk about Sandra Bullock. I have been talking a lot. What did you think about this movie, Tim Real? <laughs> uh, I think Sandra Bullock was absolutely right. I don't think this movie was an Oscar movie because uh, <laughs> uh, it because it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Look, we've seen this movie a, bi- a billion times, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, this uh, you and I uh, one of one of the podcasts uh, uh, was uh, had Carrie, and this is uh, the Blind Side is for me the same thing as Carrie. The movie itself, the the writing, everything about it, nothing about it is Oscar worthy, but Sandra is Oscar worthy. Uh, like it, like there's nothing about this movie that says she's absolutely right. There's nothing in this movie that is an Oscar movie, but the way her performance in it is incredible. Uh, cause I, I wanted to, uh, I saved this one for last cause I saw a bunch and I, there was, and I'm like, Oh yeah, there's great acting here. And I wanted to go in and be like, uh, it's undeserved because, this is obviously just a sports movie and it's, it's bullshit. And then mm-hmm. I watched Sandra Bullock be the type of person who has to put on airs because of her status and where she's put herself in her society and all of these things. And so she has to put on this mask of the all powerful uh, uh, white church lady who is the leader of her community and always in charge and always in control and hold that mask up while doing real human being things for the rest of it. You could see her struggle with things, uh, struggle with relationships, struggle with the things she was doing at the moment, knowing that, okay, I'm doing this, but I probably shouldn't. And all of that plays on her face and in her actions. And at the entire time, so it was like, it was like watching Sandra Bullock play two roles. She didn't play this woman. She played a a woman who has uh, a lot of empathy and a lot of care and a lot of worry and a lot of stress playing a woman who doesn't and watching that uh, I was blown away. I was just like, okay, I get it. This movie doesn't deserve anything about Oscars, but watching her play this character is it's, it's she's, she's it, it, it like virtuoso is like a word that's popping into my head just because it's the whole idea of, and I think a lot of actors, I think it's the, it's the whole idea of the acting, what your character is saying versus what your character is thinking and feeling need to happen at the same time, even if they're absolutely opposed. And I think Sandra Bullock does that in this movie. If you watch this movie, you're watching a woman who's thinking and feeling something that she's not saying and presenting to the people she's talking to. And it's gorgeous to watch. Well, I mean, I was a little conflicted watching her because I found her character kind of annoying, but also charming at the same time. Like, you know, whenever they're all like waiting at the social services office and then she just cuts in front of everyone and she's like, um, me, like things like that where you're like, oh my God, fuck off. Or like whenever, um, it's just, I felt a lot of the time in the movie that Sandra character, Sandra's performance was a little one note. Um, I'm not saying that she wasn't multidimensional. I'm saying that her performance was a little one note. And I felt like where a lot of the um, acting for me was mostly reactionary whenever, you know, he would say things like, oh, I never had one before. And then she's she's like, what, your own room? And he's like, a bed. And like, you know, you see the way that she's trying to kind of hold it in when she wants to break down in front of him, but she doesn't, she doesn't want to show weakness. So she goes into another room 
things like that, I think, were nice little Oscar moments and, you know, made me emotional and stuff like that. Because I did, I will be honest with you, I found her character kind of unlikable and kind of annoying. And, um, like, I just didn't really have a lot of sympathy for her she's just in this extreme position of privilege and she's just the way that she gets into like a drug dealer's face in the fucking projects and she's like no you listen to me bitch and she's like, it's just like okay like you are a completely super rich white woman and you're telling people like how they it there was just a lot of things about this movie that like socially it doesn't age well and it's like this is not at all like a fault to Sandra Bullock but I'm just saying that I personally had a hard time liking her character now that we are maybe more socially aware of like, hey, maybe don't be a gross white person. Because in this movie, she is kind of a gross white person, if I'm being honest with you. Oh, but, she's not kind of a gross. She's absolutely a gross white person in yeah, this movie. Yeah. And so I I found, I found that to be kind of a little annoying and a little difficult. But I mean, Sandra Bullock, I mean, it's Sandra Bullock. She's a fantastic actor. And she really, there were really awesome moments in this movie. Uh, but mostly they were reactionary. But if I'm being honest with you, overall, I would have to say that I found her charming, but annoying. And that I think I'm going to be honest with you. That's kind of really all that I have to say. About. <laughs> Good, because I'll, I'll add some things. Uh, OK, OK. Uh, and may, maybe maybe it's just because uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to Sandra Bullock. So uh, watching her, I'm just like gorgeous. Absolutely. I, I'd love to be married to this character uh, because, first of all, she it's one of the few characters uh, uh, that I see in movies where it's a powerful woman who isn't an absolute shit to her husband. <laughs> so it's right. like, oh, right. I like this relationship. So it's like, oh, I would like to be married to this person the same way that guy is. And so uh, so I had more affection for her. Uh, but uh, you're absolutely like I said, this movie, it doesn't deserve any Oscars. The writing is it's so cookie cutter. And so, yes, the scene in the uh, in the DMV was so clearly like, oh, this is this was written for the comedic effect of this. Uh, and yeah. uh, we were never going to get anything else uh, from this. This is just a sketch in the middle of the movie. It's like, here's a scene uh, from this. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but the thing uh, watching it again, because I did remember the scene where she confronts the, the the drug dealer from the first time I had watched it when it came out. But I uh, seeing that scene again, uh, I had missed this because uh, it's like it's in the dialogue. That's like and you, you kind of miss it. And then it made that that's the only scene that did make sense to me because uh, she obviously she walks away scared, but she's up there. And what she actually says is, I'm a card carrying member of the NRA. I have a gun on me. Uh, blah, blah, blah. It's that whole scene. <clears throat> and it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, what's ha what's actually happening in that scene, especially in light of what we know today? What's happening in that scene is, bud, I have a gun. You're black. I'm white. If I shoot you, nothing bad's going to happen to me. If you shoot me, your life is over. Yes. Yeah. And I'm friends with the DA. I'm a member of the NRA yeah. and I am always packing. Yeah. And you're like, okay. And if, if that scene happened in a movie today, it would be underscored right. with, uh, with, Yikes. Uh, with, 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 uh, <laughs> angsty bass music because it would, she would be the horror villain where she would legit be up there going, I could kill you and your family. Yeah. And it, and it, and it wouldn't even, it, it would, it would, it, I might, 
lose a 20 minutes on Wednesday uh, uh, when I have to go talk to my lawyer. Uh, but yeah. that's all that's going to affect me. So yeah, have at inconvenienced. Yeah, <laughs> I will be inconvenienced if I slaughter your family because I'm a white person. Uh, all right. But all yeah, right. Uh, I think. I think no. We, we got to wrap we, this uh, up. We got to wrap this. We got to. We've been circling the airport. We got to wrap this baby up. So let us uh, pick. Let us pick our winner for uh, best actress. You are my guest, so I will give you the honor of going first. Please tell me. I think the Oscar should have gone to. Gabourey Sidibe, how did she not win this fucking Oscar? Are you fucking kidding me? Not this movie is such an important like I watched all I watched all five of those movies and four of those movies were films and one of them was a touchstone of a generation. How did right. how how right. <laughs> look it, there's there's two reasons that I'm so upset that she didn't win. One, because she absolutely deserved it. She was the best actress out of all of them, and with with the hardest job, by the way, out of all mm-hmm. of them. But second, the Oscars is supposed to be this sentimental thing that does things on ceremony and on tradition and all these other things, but they're also really into big moments and big, big things and, and elevating things that couldn't ever happen again. And this, I love Gabrielle uh, Sidibe. I love her in uh, an American horror story. I love her in everything she did, but I don't, unless somebody writes something for her specifically, this right. was her only chance to win an Oscar. And the yeah. Academy took that away from her and she absolutely deserved it. And it, it 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 kills me that she didn't win and that it went to a fucking sports movie about a white lady this is oh i oh oh anyway who do you think should have won kyle <laughs> okay uh well i think that the oscar should have gone to Gabourey Sidibe for Precious. Yeah, it's kind of a Fritz Bernays. Like, it's no question. I mean, the thing is, is, you know, during this time, I mean, this was all before, like, um, Oscars So White. You have, like, most of your acting, like, the Academy, it's 70% white men. You know, the thing is, is during this time, like, the likelihood of Gabourey winning something like this. And I love that you said that, um, you know, the only way that she's going to get something is if it's written for her. And this really was her only chance. You're right. They're not really, you know, writing a lot of movies for um, obese um, women of color, of, of course. And so uh, you're right. Like, that is uh, a very, very true. And this really was her one chance. And so I do find that interesting that, yeah, why they didn't have that, like, because they could have had that moment. And I personally... Uh, if she had won, I think that it would have shocked people, you know, and it, and at the time, I mean, now would we be having that same conversation? Like, I don't know. But, you know, at the time, it probably would have shocked everybody if she would have won. But when you watch these movies today, it's like, oh, yeah, Gabri was the clear winner. Like, in my opinion, like, I think that she was incredible. A lot of people said that it was going to be Meryl Streep. And um, I actually... Don't agree with that. I really think that it was Gabourey said of it. It was so real and so hard to watch. And I think that that's a credit to the performance and everything that you said that I agree with. And I'm 
it's it sucks that she didn't win and i it sucks that you know you can't see more movies with her in a starring role because she clearly has a lot to offer all right. Well, that concludes another episode of Best Actress. We didn't go to an hour and a half the time. We did go an hour and twenty. So we're doing we're we're getting better. We're getting better. Oh no, uh, you still haven't. We're, we still haven't wrapped up and done credits. We can push this. <laughs> um, so Tim, where where can people find you on social media? Well, uh, the two best places to find me is uh, every Monday and Thursday on twitch.tv slash Tim underscore Riel. I host a comedy game show called Codenames Live uh, that brings on celebrities and actors and comedians and uh, musicians to come play a, a fun party game. But mostly it's just to hang out and entertain the people watching. Uh, that happens, yeah, every Monday and Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash Tim underscore Riel. And uh, yeah, the podcast that uh, <laughs> that is true to my heart that you will never be able to find if you're trying to use keywords uh, is, uh, <laughs> is called The Adventures We Have from Inside the House and it's an entertainment podcast about uh, about the things we love even if nobody else does. I love it. Well, thank you for being a guest and we'll see you next time. Bye.